Welcome, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush, and joining me as always is my beautiful co-host, Connor Cornelius. Connor, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. Especially, I, I could have used that compliment a little bit earlier, but, you know, now that you're doing it now. It's, I mean, now or never. Yeah. Now or never. Yeah. I would have preferred never, but you looked a little sad. I thought that, you know, he's his eyes are so There's, dark and yeah. his complexion is just... Is it the... It's the mascara's running. It's yeah, the mascara's running. I, like, I you have a, some sort... You have a dry spot on your right ear. Do and, I? Uh, it's Damn it's it. crackly. I, yeah, okay. It's... Well. Uh, do you have eczema? <laughs> it's, uh... It's inconsistent. Okay. Uh, so I'll give were, an inconsistent answer. Yeah, if... <laughs> If it were consistent, I would suggest a dermatologist. But I mean, if it's inconsistent, just Lubriderm or something. You know, just yeah. get a little something over the counter. Yeah, you're listening to Ear Health with Connor and Tom, <laughs> taking care of your dry ears since 2017. But anyway, back you know what to, goes well with ear cream? Yeah, what? box office, box office. Naturally, um, we're going to be talking a little bit later about some comments made by two large figures in the film industry, uh, Joss Whedon and. And James Cameron, who, if you're keeping up with film news, have said some uh, pretty dumb things, wouldn't you say, Connor? Yeah. Uh, James Cameron has been pretty ridiculous in all of his public appearances over the last... Ever since he said he's going to just do Avatar movies for the next five, ten years, or yeah. whatever it is. It's just been on a sliding scale of absurdity. Yeah. Uh, he made some comments about the fantastically successful Wonder Woman movie that um, the director, Patty Jenkins, definitely took umbrage with. And uh, I think you and I, Connor, took a little, took a little off- not offense, but we, did, we really thought that it was a, a poor move on behalf of Mr. Cameron. Yeah, it's like a what is he doing kind of moment. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Absolutely. And we'll also take a look at a uh, recent letter that was written about Joss Whedon, um, a man who is considered an icon in um, film geekdom for his work on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, The Avengers. Um, he was a big, you know, big figure for people. And uh, his ex-wife recently wrote an open letter for everybody to read that uh, talked a little bit about Joss outside of his um, public his public uh, persona, his public space, and um, you know some things that he has been doing and ways that he has been um, approaching his uh, his work that don't really uh, add up to the way that we, I guess, previously thought of Joss. So, like I said, we're gonna we'll get to that. But for right now, the summer's winding the down. The summer's winding down. Yes, it's late August. And, so it's uh, time to take a look back at the summer movie season. Fantastic. And that's what we're going to do right now here in our news segment. News. News. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the news. The news. Ah, news. The news. <laughs> news coming soon. Coming soon to a theater near you. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Gonna talk about what's going on. What's going on. What's going on. Yeah. All right, so right now, winding down summer, all the big movies really for the summer season have come out. We've seen Wonder Woman. We've seen Dunkirk, Spider-Man Homecoming, lots of big movies that came out this summer, and we're getting into the fall. Really, I think starting with um, the release of It coming on September 8th. But we want to take a look back here at the uh, summer box office, which has been interesting wouldn't you say connor interesting and 
almost entirely unsurprising, maybe. Yeah. Right? I mean, save, save for a few nice surprises. Yeah. But it all, was a great summer for original filmmaking, I think. Mm-hmm. Baby Driver from Edgar Wright was great. Uh, obviously, Christopher Nolan continuing his spree of not making a bad movie with Dunkirk. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. There that. were some problems with it, obviously. <laughs> but no. uh, but you're absolutely right. There were some highlights, definitely, but def- I don't know. It was kind of a middling summer. So uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, what were those highlights and what were the lowlights of the summer. And we're going to be following uh, a great article written by Scott Mendelson over at Forbes, and he kind of highlights himself the winners and losers of the summer movie season um first he brings up for the big winner comic book superhero movies which which seems for the last few years i'd say almost the last 10 years have pretty much consistently been winners of the summer box office wouldn't you say wouldn't i say yes i would (laughs) um and it's also interesting because you'd think that after so many consecutive years of these things dominating the box office people audiences might be coming a little fatigued by it not the case at all not at all we have some serious records being broken here we're looking at wonder woman with 404 million at the box office guardians 2 with 389 spider-man homecoming 315 million i mean they're juggernauts say what you will about the quality of them and uh wonder to be fair all three of those movies were really well reviewed yeah especially wonder woman people were really turned on to wonder woman uh guardians 2 in my personal opinion was even i liked it better than the first one and really yeah i i feel like it advanced the story a lot and it was what it it was what i hoped from it as a comic book movie as a fan of that particular property um and spider-man homecoming bringing back spider-man and incorporating it into the mcu not bad at all yeah not very bad fresh at all. i thought exactly and um you know it seems like it's really only going to continue with these big franchises we've got more and more and more marvel movies to look forward to um coming down the line especially with uh in the com- next couple of years we'll have the the new avengers movies that will kind of cap off this 10 year <laughs> juggernaut you know this 10 year run on the MCU and kind of open things up for the future, which is just going to keep going. Um, luckily for DC, they had Wonder Woman, which was finally uh, the hit that they had hoped for critically. Yep. Because Batman versus Superman did not do poorly financially. It made a lot of money. But uh, Wonder Woman was both financially successful and a good movie to boot. Yeah, it was the most successful film directed by a woman of all time. Mm-hmm. I think it was $800 million uh, grossed internationally. Yeah, so, something ridiculous, something ridiculous. And uh, congratulations to Patty Jenkins for coming out and just, just swinging for the fences. I mean, she made Monster in 2003 and then didn't really do features for a long time. She made, you know, went, came in, made an incredible film with Charlie's their own, like an Oscar-winning film, and then was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to not do a feature for a long time. And then she comes back and does another great feature. So shout out to Patty Jenkins for doing uh, a great job. Um, the only thing I'm worried about with this, and we might see this in summers to come, is a serious fatigue 
with superhero movies. I know I'm really feeling it. I'm I've really only attached myself to a few movies that I that are of the superhero genre that I really want to see. Like I'll always watch a Guardians of the Galaxy because I love Jim, James Gunn as a director and a writer. Um, I really like those characters. I'm down to see it regardless of uh, how big and bloated it might be. Yeah, exactly. And also with the DC properties, I've got to say I'm feeling. I have never felt so, such fatigue with a franchise before. It's like I really want them to do something good, but now that I've seen Wonder Woman, I, I'm i still just like, okay, now what are they doing? You look up what their next plans are. They're doing a couple Joker movies with Jared Leto, who is it's like the antithesis of the feminist superhero. So it's like, does DC re- is DC learning from their mistakes at all, or are they just... Pow- seems no. Yeah, are they just powering through because of the, the box office results? Well... And later this year, they're going to hopefully what they're guessing is going to be their Avengers moment, which is the release of Justice League, bringing together all the characters that they've set up so clumsily in previous films. Because yeah. they're just like, well, you know, we got to play catch up with Marvel. And um, we'll see how it goes. I know they uh, Zack Snyder was has been the creative uh, czar behind all of these movies so far, even the ones that he hasn't directed. He's had a hand in. And um you know it uh didn't necessarily work and he was he had done justice league but then unfortunately he had a a very terrible tragedy strike his family and he stepped away and um uh joss whedon actually Mm -hmm. came to finish it up and from what has been said there have been a lot of expensive reshoots a lot of retooling of the story late 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 in the game which does not bode well for a film like that much retooling usually does not help a film we saw that with suicide squad another another dc uh property exactly and we saw it even in uh rogue one they did extensive reshoots extensive reshoots because of scheduling conflicts and that's not to say that reshoots are inherently a bad thing no reshoots happen but there seems to be a pattern right and it's not encouraging necessarily yeah constant reshoots constant expensive reshoots that largely shape out the story in a way that uh it was not originally shot so i think we'll we'll cap off the winner for those but I will say losers on the flip side, non-superhero live action franchises. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. It did it did 787 million worldwide, but it was really uh, underwhelming. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, The Mummy, Transformers, uh, even War for the Planet of the Apes, which, which was is, a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I just don't think people were were really that into it, um, yeah. which is sad. I I liked it a lot. I thought they did a good job, and I'm, you know, I'm coming from a biased perspective. I really love the Planet of the Apes movies, so it's unfortunate to hear that. Um, but the Dark Tower also totally just yeah went straight down. And I think an interesting thing that has emerged from this summer is that the expectation when you hear that a team like Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba are going to be in a movie together or Tom Cruise is going to be helming a reboot of a universal monster or um, Johnny Depp is reprising one of his most famous roles you would think that these movies are going to be pulling in huge audiences obviously Pirates of the Caribbean did but for the most part it does seem like the star power which a lot of major studios rely upon is not performing as well as they imagined that it would. Yeah, it's starting to fade. And um, it also goes to show that word of mouth 
and critical consensus has kind of returned as a very important factor in whether or not people are seeing these movies which brings us to the next point in this article uh is the one winner movie critics um there's been a lot of think pieces written about rotten tomatoes and review aggregators and things of that nature and um what they're calling the rotten tomatoes effect people go and look at those aggregators now i do have some problems with rotten tomatoes because it takes away the nuance of a review um i really like scoreless reviews Mm -hmm. i really like reviews that focus on not like just just taking the movie at face value like just watching the movie and writing about the movie what they liked what they didn't like and you have to read it to understand the opinion instead of you can go to Rotten Tomatoes, and it's like, oh, well, it's a, it's only a 65, you know? Yeah. Forming an opinion should not be a regurgitation. Exactly. It should be a thoughtful process. Yeah. And I think um, less and less people necessarily have reviewers that they really like. I've gotten to the point where I, I was totally into Rotten Tomatoes. I thought, oh, wow, this is great. This is really going to help me choose a movie. But um, then I realized the problems with it and that sometimes, you know, uh, I don't necessarily agree with that Rotten Tomatoes score. So what I've gone to is really looking at specific um, critics that I enjoy the writing of or at least generally agree with. Um, Amy Nicholson, formerly of LA Weekly and uh, MTVNews.com. I really like to watch her, listen to her reviews or read her reviews. Um, I really like Richard Brody from The New Yorker. Even though I disagree with him a lot, I like to know his thoughts and I think it really rounds rounds things out. So maybe moving to reading specific critics and knowing which ones that you agree with and get your taste in movies might help you get a better movie experience. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, but it seems like Rotten Tomatoes, the effect on the summer box office was mostly negative Yeah, in the sense that it got people, it, it helped people avoid bad movies like Baywatch, The Mummy, uh, Transformers 5. You know, it really helped them do that. Yeah, which is good because if we want studios to change the way that they're releasing films and the things that they're pumping their budgets into, then we, that that's important, right? Yeah, it's speak with your wallet. Away. Exactly. Yeah. But also things like uh, where otherwise good movies like War for the Planet of the Apes was totally pigeonholed because all of the critics said it's a very it's got a very bleak ending mm-hmm. which you could guess going into it if you knew sure. anything about it but if you know anything about the the planet of the apes franchise yeah what's the fr- what's bleaker than like damn you <laughs> damn you all to hell they like blew up the planet yeah like I don't know what you were expecting. <laughs> yeah, like, did you not know that who won the war for the planet of the apes? <laughs> yeah, it's not humanity. I tell you that much. But yeah, it kind of scared people away from it. And obviously, there are a lot of bleak things happening very publicly in the world right now. Yeah. And maybe people in the summer are not looking for a movie that makes them contemplate the uh, folly of man. The know? end of all time. The end of all time. Yeah. Um, so. Another point is that it couldn't the good reviews couldn't really save everything. Um it definitely didn't save Logan Lucky, which is too bad because I mean that was kind of that I haven't I'll be seeing it soon. It's going to be coming to the theater that I work at um in the next week, but I'll definitely be seeing it. It looks great. I love Steven Soderbergh. I'm really excited and it stinks that that one didn't do better. Um it didn't really help Detroit all that much. Um you know, 
it didn't do it you know critics can't save everything but i think it might at least give some of these things a life later on in home release people who skipped it in the theaters will be like well you know what this got really good reviews and now i can only i can watch it for like i don't know five bucks on itunes you know so hopefully that'll help on the back end help on the back end um as we kind of said earlier one loser is uh movie stars losers losers they lost uh scarlett johansson and amy schumer couldn't help rough you know couldn't help rough night or snatched dwayne johnson the rock couldn't yeah. help baywatch idris elba and matthew mcconaughey couldn't uh change the dark tower johnny yeah. depp didn't help pirates i think that's because people are turning against johnny depp yeah and rightfully so he's yeah. kind of he's i been, don't know he's literally phoning it in nowadays yeah he, he has a guy he has an assistant on stage he wears an earpiece and the guy just feeds him his lines so that Johnny Depp doesn't have to read scripts before he goes Good on. Good God. Hitman's bodyguard also didn't really get helped with... Um, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, nothing really there. Nothing really there. When, uh, I want to get to this one. This is, this is a really important one. One of the winners, according to the article, um, and shout out to Scott Mendelson for, for making this a point, is that one of the winners was women. And I think that's absolutely true. Not just uh, with, um, not just with Wonder Woman, but you had Girls Trip, which was a really big success. Um, that's that's been playing in theaters for a long time now. The director and of that movie just got a first look deal with Universal. Is exactly, that right? he got his first look deal, which is great because he's been making a lot of uh, he's been making a lot of great films already i know he did the best man holiday franchise the two mm-hmm. the two movies that are part of that i think this was this was a good w- year for women and charlie's theron yeah atomic, atomic blonde. blonde um again they didn't do great in the box office but i think the fact of existence is really important the fact that we have a female uh, female-led action film that's leading to that's leading to more um you know, I want to see more female-led action. I just want to see more female-led films. I don't think that's too much to ask. I think uh, this summer has proved that female-led films have an audience, clearly, uh, despite the fact that it's been denied for so long. So uh, I'm glad that they're one of the winners. Um, if you guys have any specific thoughts, what, who are your winners and losers of the summer box office? Who do you think the winners and losers of uh, the coming fall and winter seasons of films? I mean, this is when we're expecting a lot of prestige films, you know, Oscar contenders. What are we going to see? Um, what are you excited about? Please let us know. Head on over to Facebook.com slash podcast and uh, throw it up on the page. I want to see what you think. I'm excited. Yeah. I like to hear your thoughts. I like to hear your thoughts. Speaking of box office, um, it looks like this weekend the box office is going to be steamrolled. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To put it in a word, I suppose, (laughs) steamrolled by the Mayweather-McGregor pay-per-view fight on Showtime. Uh, We're looking at projections of $700 million worldwide, uh, $500 million plus in the U.S. alone. And according to Deadline.com, if that were a movie, the figure would easily land it in the top 10 list of highest grossing films of all time and what does that mean for movies that are coming out this weekend tom it means they're pretty much screwed um there's really not a whole lot to uh to help the box office this weekend i mean this is an extremely 
well-anticipated fight. I know you're, you, in fact, are going to be watching it. Mm-hmm. They're I'm, having massive parties. You're everywhere. Gonna, yeah. You're going to a party. Yeah. You're going to be sipping on a brewski. I get to go to a party <laughs> to watch the to watch this fight it's going to be big you know this is huge 700 million dollars for a fight that could potentially last less than like five minutes yeah who knows floyd May- mayweather could just knock out just immediate knockout or mcgregor gets disqualified by kicking him in the head or something yeah exactly know. or it it drags on for like two hours and it's the most boring thing that anyone's ever seen because yeah. mayweather's motto seems to be float like a butterfly <laughs> and that's it there is no and that's that's the end he just waits him out yeah and now i don't you know i don't know shit about boxing um Me either but <laughs> i i watched the mayweather pacquiao fight and uh i was really pissed i wish i had been watching a movie yeah. that was really not very good um i wasn't really that invested in it and let's let's just look at the movies that are coming out uh we're we've got leap which is a sweet animated movie about a ballerina. Mm. Probably not going to do gangbusters. Um, the uh, Sony, the Sony faith-based uh, film All Saints. I'm sure that's, that'll do well. Actually. Yeah, that's doing all right. I mean, the biggest thing, really, the one that I would see is Birth of the Dragon, which is the new uh, Bruce Lee biopic that's coming out, and it's a collaboration between uh, Blumhouse. There, there's. Um, what was it their label called Tilt Blumhouse Tilt and WWE Studios? Hey oh hey, uh, they're doing. They've got this biopic Birth of the Dragon coming out. It's about Bruce Lee and his his ascension um, after this big fight that he has. I don't really know much about it. I'm glad I don't know much about it because I'd rather watch it and learn all about it. Yep. But um, even that is really not gonna make much, you know. And they really realistically that would be trying to capture the audience that the fight is going to get yeah that's actually really interesting i didn't think about that yeah i mean it's a fighting hopefully it's gonna wet the whistle of those ready for a fight but the fight is tonight i'm guessing no one's taking off you know to run to the movies quickly before the fight starts you're gonna be sitting you're gonna be watching the pregame you're gonna be chugging bud light (laughs) like there's no tomorrow you know (laughs) drowning gonna be drowning in (laughs) vodka Drowning in vodka and fatty trans fats. Oh, Jesus. The worst kind of trans fats. Yeah, the fatty, fatty ones. The fatty guys. Oh, God. So, I mean, RIP box office for uh, August 26th, Better luck next weekend. Yeah. I hope we do better next weekend. And at least we have It to look forward to. I think that could be... Uh, people seem excited about It um, from what I've seen. Um, a lot of people have gone back and watched the original, and they're getting like hyped about it. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I remember this. This used to scare me as a kid. This so freaked me out. I hate clowns. Uh, you know, so... <laughs> I hope it does well, even though I'm not the biggest Stephen King fan. Um, it's too bad that The Dark Tower was a total bust, but yeah. maybe this will do better. Because God knows he needs the money. Yeah, seriously. He's so poor. Yeah, Stephen King. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? Uh, Connor, let's get into some something legal here. I loved talking last week about the legal battle between the producers of The Walking Dead and AMC. Let's get into more legal stuff. Uh, we've got some anti-censor... Uh, or sorry, not anti-censorship. Age censorship law uh, that we're going to be talking about here. Connor, what's the skinny? So IMDB has filed a lawsuit to get rid of something which is called the IMDB law, which essentially allows actors and actresses who put their information up on that website, the 
uh, right to basically uh, remove their age information so that uh, their potential employers cannot illegally age discriminate against them. Mm-hmm. And the um, the y- joint union SAG-AFTRA has, um, has publicly denounced this uh, lawsuit because they think that there is a problem of inclusivity in Hollywood already and they don't want people to... They don't want studios to be able to engage in this uh, age discrimination practice, which they perceive as something which is a real problem with the industry. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. This is this is kind of a tough one. This is super. This is a super tough one because SAG-AFTRA absolutely has a point with ageism in Hollywood. Um, there have been many, you know, serious discussions and even com- you know comedic discussions about how uh, older actors, especially women, are aged out. Because they're not sexy anymore. You can't, you know, you get to age 40 and all of a sudden you can only play mothers and, you know, uh, I feel like that's just it. You're just like, well, you know, we've got a role on an ABC sitcom that's going to fail in about six months so you can play the mom, you know, and uh, that's pretty much it. That becomes that becomes your career. And older women are not seen as viable actors. However, I do think that IMDb. I mean, there's a point there. I think I should be able to know a, an actor's age, you know, if I'm curious. I'm like, oh, how old is John Travolta? Right. You there's know? that There's that problem, right? Because, for example, the SAG-AFTRA, the current president, Gabrielle Carteris, was a star on Hollywood 90210, or Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. And she was 30 when she was uh, auditioning for a role of a 19-year-old. And when they eventually chose her... Uh, a couple of seasons had gone by, the show had become successful, and then they eventually found out how old Gabrielle was, and some of the producers approached her and said, uh, you're really lucky that we didn't know how old you were when we offered you this job. However, so that's one example yeah. of And that's them. some real Hollywood scummy stuff that is happening and is despicable. It is wrong. But then again, you got stuff on the other side. Everybody's heard, you know, the thing with Mila Kunis when she was 15 years old, mm-hmm. uh, and she was auditioning for a role of a 19-year-old. And she was going to be making out with people who were in their mid twenties or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that is so is the, and that's kind of like statutory rape. That's technically statutory. Well, it's 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 sexual misconduct. Or it's something. it's it's wrong. Yeah, if you are if you are over the age of uh, if if she's fifteen and she's making out with Ashton Kutcher, who's like in his twenties, there's at the very least there's something weird about that. If not right. um, legally murk, you know, legally wrong. Um, and it's that's the difficult really, part. Yeah, yeah, because even even in one of the biggest movies uh, of all the time, Apocalypse Now, Lawrence Fishburne lied about his age so that he could be in Apocalypse Now. And it's a good thing because now we have a great performance from um, a young Lawrence from Fishburne. young Lawrence Fishburne, and that clear you know that probably helped launch his career. On the other hand, like you know that could have been a huge liability. That could have been a massive liability because he's a minor. You know, when someone's a minor, things have to, you know, there are work laws for minors. You know, they can't work more than so many hours in a day. They have to be going to school for in, in certain cases, and they have to be doing this, that, and the next thing. And the conditions of that, the creation of that film were uh, yeah. hectic, yeah. to say the least. Um, Apocalypse Now is, uh, you know, famously hectic and um, dangerous shoot with um, all the things that were going on. So knowing an actor's age is, imp- is, is important. I think it's really important. But I think 
there the the ageism is rampant and what it comes down to is changing the culture where you know you need to know someone's age for legal reasons Mm -hmm. you know in terms of work and um you know things that come along with that especially minors i feel like with the age thing we're a lot talking about minors in terms of safety um and then when it comes to people who are older i guess um just stop discriminating based on age look it's about how they look no one's gonna know no one can tell you how old they are just from looking at someone not not super accurately not you know not without like some level of guessing so in the case of a movie like super bad jonah hill was like 30 years old playing a high schooler do you think anybody knew that i didn't i sure as yeah. didn't like i i was did not convinced want. i was convinced he was a high schooler even michael Sarah was older than high school age but that doesn't matter that doesn't matter if you just believe that they're the age that they're supposed to be playing so on one end you know producers stop being ageist it's stupid let people act just go with your gut go with your gut on what you think is going to be a good performance yeah exactly and on the other hand it's important to know what an actor's age is outside of just movie trivia. You need to know because there could be some safety concerns. There could be some legal concerns. You Just be honest about your age. And hopefully we can change the culture enough so that people in Hollywood can be honest about their age without being afraid of being discriminated against because of it. All right. Next up, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Mr. Joss Whedon and Mr. James Cameron about uh, some recent things that have come out, uh, some statements made, some letters written, and uh, dig into that a little bit and maybe peel back some of the um, peel back some of the layers of these two uh, filmmakers. Uh, won't you join us? I think it'll be a fantastic conversation. You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. And all around the world, back in just a bit. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush, joined again, as always, by my co-host, Connor. Connor, thanks for making it through the break. And I, I see your complexion is kind of, it's it's brightened up a little bit. I'm brightening up. I'm, I'm blushing. I'm having a great time. We might Tom. be able to finally do this on video. Yeah. If you could. Okay. You know, just. All right, Tom, you know what? I was having a good day, and now all of a sudden you just got to go ahead with a backhanded comment like that. I'm sorry, Connor. Well, I mean, if we're going to keep playing up this dynamic for everybody, yeah, you know, I'm honey, you're, or well, I'll be vinegar. You can be salt. Is that? <laughs> that's it, that right? The, it's. I think so. I think that's usually Let's not do this in front of our guests. No, right. never, never. Uh, as we talked about in the previous segment, we want to get into um, some pretty lame comments uh, that were made by two giant figures of the film industry, uh, Joss Whedon and also James Cameron. Uh, with James Cameron, it's more of his comments uh, regarding the film Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. Um recently broke the record for being the single most successful film ever made by a female filmmaker Mm -hmm. and uh, a letter that was written about joss whedon by his ex-wife who um 
revealed some things that uh, Joss has since publicly said were not exactly as they happened, as someone accused of uh, cheating might want to um, might want to say to the world. But we'll discuss it anyway because I think it's important to get that perspective. And helping us do that today is Amy Guth. She is the host of the Saturday Night Special. She also does the uh, business lunch on Saturdays for WGN, and she also does so many other things. You are 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 you the president of Strange Ways? I'm the the founder, founder. and executive director of Strange Ways, which is a multimedia uh, film. And other things, production company. Oh, excellent. But and also she, shout out to Rex Hupke. Um, yes. I am also one half of Guth and Hupke on politics, which is a very exhausting poli- uh, political talk show. But the weeks that we have skipped because he's been on vacation have been excruciating because it never fails that very important political news happens that week. But also it sort of counts as weekly political therapy. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I can imagine the the next one when he comes back will simply balloon and pop yeah. into a glorious explosion of uh, political decompression. So if you uh, I, I feel like many people already know Amy and um we're just excited to have her here. So thank you so much, Amy, for coming on to talk a little bit about this. I want to start with uh, James Cameron because he's considered one of the not untouchables, but one of the he, most successful of all time. Yeah. I mean, he's made some of the largest film franchises. The Terminator franchise is kind of on his back. Uh, Aliens back in the day. And now with his avatar series that he's going to do into perpetuity i assume Mm -hmm. Uh, or at least that seems to be his plan he uh seems to take umbrage with wonder woman and uh it's really kind of for the dumbest reason he claims that uh wonder woman has been the subject of self-congratulatory back padding uh on the part of hollywood which is i think incredibly offensive towards Patty Jenkins. I think incredibly offensive towards people who legitimately enjoyed the movie and uh, really just a crappy thing to say. He claims that uh, Wonder Woman is male Hollywood doing the same old thing on account of the fact that he feels Wonder Woman as a character is an objectified icon. And the reason that he's saying that is because Wonder Woman is beautiful, right? Yeah, he takes he takes issue with the fact that Gal Gadot, I mm-hmm. believe is how you pr- pronounce her last name, she is uh, just a, a very pretty woman. Mm-hmm. And I mean, everything's subjective. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But she is she is a very beautiful woman. She's physically fit. She is. She's um, wearing a a form fitting uniform. Yeah. So. And he takes that to be, oh, this is some male gaze stuff. This is, I think he's trying to be progressive thinking, but ultimately comes off as a dick. Right. Because he, he, really- takes, <laughs> he takes one toxic view of femininity in Hollywood and he just trades it in for his own, which yeah. is not any better than the one that the, 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 like the Michael Bays use, right? True. True. Amy, can you help us work through this? Because we're just a couple of white guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Help. We're lost. Well, I mean, this is this, in my opinion, is very much about something that we see a lot politically. We see this in a lot of industries in which it is um, quite I mean, constantly it is very customary to uh, attack s- uh, usually a woman, but not always, but attack when 
absolute male privilege is threatened. We saw this play out in the 2016 presidential election, right? Because the idea of uh, Obama threatened a certain group and then suddenly, whether or not you liked Hillary, suddenly like here was this one office that even subconsciously, it was very easy to believe, could only be held by a certain person, and that was an old white guy. Suddenly that kind of foundation was a bit rocked. And I think that's really what we're seeing here um, just in such an absurdly douchey way. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was it it got him nothing to say what he said. It was totally needless. There was really no purpose for it because it did him no favors. People that are in the like Hollywood brosif seats of power are probably like, yeah, right on, brother. But mostly people are like, what an asshole. Right. For the most part, that's what people are saying. Absolutely. So um, Patty Jenkins fired back with a really I thought lovely uh, and uh, well-played comment that I think made some really good and important points, particularly um, where she's, she's describing, you know, the, the way that women are denied being fully multidimensional beings on screen or in their professional lives. It's this idea that you have to be a certain kind of badass, but you better not be too good looking or else somehow you're objectifying yourself or someone is objectifying you. You're you're allowing yourself to be objectified if you are too good looking in the eye of the beholder. So it's like be a badass, but don't have feelings because then you're uh, some kind of hysterical woman. So be a badass, but don't have feelings, but don't be too good looking. And, you know, and if we have to be that, then we're not allowed to be the fully multidimensional beings that men are allowed to be on screen and that men right. are allowed to be in their film careers, which is very unfair. So he is, this feels like um, an insecure small person being very threatened and lashing out like a, you know, if you like push someone into a corner, they just start fighting back ferociously and that's really what this feels like uh in his case because it it really gained he got him nothing to say that nothing and i find it super ironic that he's the i he's coming from this perceived moral high ground of oh i'm the guy that created sarah connor sarah connor the absolute badass woman who fought who was the you know the mother of humanity in the in the apocalyptic robot future and um i think these it's not wrong to say that that role did break some ground in terms of um women being action heroes because terminator 2 considered one of the best you know action films of all time starring a woman in that role being really the central uh ass kicking figure even in his turn in the alien franchise with aliens he made uh ripley a big action star for for guys and i think that's and women as well. People really saw Sigourney Weaver and were like, wow, she's amazing. Like, this is so crazy. But perhaps he thinks that that's the only way it can be done. Right. And you were right with uh, Ms. Jenkins' statements where it's like, yes, strong women are, you know, th- like that are strong women. However, it's about being multidimensional. Why can't Wonder Woman be 
pretty for lack of a better word why can't women be emotional on screen and still be strong women still be credible exactly the minute you have any feelings then suddenly it's you know you're being hysterical i mean we see this play out in our lives daily where if you say stand up for something or you see something someone doing something inappropriate and you say hey what are you doing you know don't speak that way to a woman on the street or whatever suddenly it's like whoa you crazy bitch (laughs) You know, it's like this unbelievable double standard. But what I think, you know, the idea that it's that he has some kind of credibility here because because of Ripley and because of Sarah Connor, to me, lands like saying, I'm going to tell this super racist joke, but it's fine because I have a black friend. Right. I mean, it feels like that to me, which I just think is really flawed and really problematic because, again, this just it keeps making him look more and more insecure about this of like, listen, damn it, I'm the king of this Hollywood thing and I make the smart, tough women. Don't you dare come in here into my space and make this woman in the way that like don't do that that's mine i'm taking my toys and going home that's really it feels like a very childish move on his part which i i just find totally wholly unprofessional and it also almost seems like he didn't for one maybe understand the role of the character in the movie because she was beautiful but that wasn't something that worked in her favor necessarily she had to work through that so that she could maintain her credibility you know and it also seems sort of like james cameron doesn't even understand the powerful woman roles that he has created in his career he doesn't understand what makes a powerful woman powerful in the first place yeah, looking at um, it's it is weird to see a lot of uh, directors look back at James Cameron's work, especially when it comes to casting women in action roles. He he is he fails to see what what his roles have evolved into, and as time goes on, those roles are going to change. You know, they're not always going to be the same way. He might have, and you know, he might have made some headway with that with the help of his uh, female producer, Gail Ann Hurd, who is a uh, fantastic uh, producer in her own right and helped create the Terminator franchise. So this isn't all just James Cameron. This is a collaboration. Uh, He doesn't like to see his own, their own roles evolve, you know, which is, which is sad. And uh, if James Cameron fades into obscurity because he can't keep up with the way that, uh, women are evolving in cinema then good riddance yeah tough to me to me that that's what he's done is the cinematic equivalent of make america great again oh yeah it's like no this one very narrow white male supremacy way is the way that america is and if we don't turn around to that we have a problem i mean that's really what he said like no no no, this is very threatening to me to have this other dimension you also have to look at the original creation of wonder woman as a character made by william moulton marston who who was a very unconventional person, right? He lived with his wife and his other female partner. And uh, and and she was related to Margaret Sanger somehow, who, yeah. you know, founder of Planned Parenthood. And, and he really was very thoughtful about, like, the lasso of truth was important and the outfit, like, he really was speaking against certain, um, certain systemic issues of sexism at the time it was very important to see her bust out of chains and have a lasso of truth telling it was a it was a response to a lot that was happening socio-politically and there was um there was a documentary um that i i'm don't quote me on this but i think it was uh partially funded by uh public television that um 
was looking at people who subsequently drew Wonder Woman after he died and and his estate was kind of of the position that they would have he would have been horrified because they they responded it was it was drawn from kind of the James Cameron space. It mm-hmm. was sort of like, well, let's cover her a little so she doesn't exploit herself. That's the point, that her legs will kill you. She yeah. will choke you to death. <laughs> it is a practical matter that she doesn't wear a long skirt. And yeah. also, don't tell me to cover myself, right? Exactly. Like, so she was, at one point, there's a, a one cell of the comic in which she has a much longer skirt and she's pushing like a baby carriage that that is often pointed to as like a place where she got way off track because of who was drawing her so i think we even have to look at the context of wonder woman and to that end i think it's kind of a perfect um you know it's a perfect thing that this is the character that created this thing that's rattled all these you know very undisputably very successful but nonetheless like who in Hollywood has a ton more privilege and power than James Cameron? He's got a shitload of it, right? Yeah, He's yeah. got a lot of... If he was like, woke up and said, you know, today I would like to make a film about a glass of orange juice, it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, just because that's what... $50 million budget. And it's going to be an, a blockbuster yeah. like, glass of orange juice, yeah. um, you know, which I think is interesting. So you you mentioned Gail Ann Hurd. I heard her speak. I heard Hurd speak at uh, Blog Her in Chicago a few years ago. And and there she gets some criticism from women of like, eh, she's not all she's cracked up to be. And I've heard like wisps of that here and there. But nonetheless, this is what she was talking about. She was talking about early in her career uh, when she was leaving um, – uh, UCLA, I think, uh, Roger Corman had said, send me the brightest people from this graduating class, and I'd like to employ them. And I one, I'm going to groom into this, this super producer. Mm-hmm. And she arrived, and she says this, like, with a degree of shame and as a, as a cautionary tale, but she, she said, you know, it was the 70s, whatever. And I arrived thinking I was going to be his secretary. I did not realize I was stepping into, like, my fate was changing forever right there. And until he specifically said, no, dummy, I'm hiring you to, yeah. like, I'm grooming you for this. And she said it wasn't until she had started the process of Armageddon, because that was really her first kind of solo biggie, mm-hmm. in which she said, oh, wait, I do know what the hell I'm doing. Up until that, she had just kind of, she said, "I shame on me, but I had spent a lot of time deferring power to him. And he knew I was ready to the point that it was infuriating to him and he pushed me out and kind of made me do Armageddon uh-huh. which I thought was very interesting but she also talked a lot about like um, how intolerant she is of unsupportive people in the industry particularly um, towards women mm-hmm. so I would I would love to hear her take of like what she's thinking about James Cameron today I'm sure she's ready to blow up his car or something. oh yeah she's ready to give because they they are uh, they were married at one point right and I'm sure she's this is probably like the same old story for her she's probably and I don't mean to say that I know anything about right. the married life of James sure. Cameron but um you know, he has married two very high-profile, very prolific uh, Hollywood um, producers and, and director, in the case of Catherine Bigelow, and they all kind of went their separate ways. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe maybe it's... Maybe there's him. a reason for that. Yeah, maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> well, I mean, one might say, and like, I'm I'm not a mental health professional, but, but it does look like a very tempting pattern to kind of try to dive into, that he has, has this romantic attraction to very powerful women uh, and and yet like puts puts them on screen as long as they fit a certain thing it's like if you cross yeah. this you're out 
and I think that's really interesting just kind of to try to speculate about the psychology of James Cameron of you can be as powerful but not too powerful. Right. For kind of from what you were saying, he's almost got it almost seems like he has this covetous view of the f- strong female lead. Like he helped mold it and he created that it's cultural a, he movement and he and he wants it. He's just yeah. like a creepy kind of like But what's interesting and and there's been a little bit of of um discussion about this before so this is by no means an original thought pointing to uh to Ripley and to Sarah Connor looking at that. Um they were powerful women, but they had some. They both had something with them that made it okay to be badass because it's okay to be badass if you are Mama Bear, right? If yeah. you are defending a child. So in the case of Newt on the ship, That's like true. suddenly it was wow. okay for Ripley to be completely ferocious and fight very hard because it's not yeah. about just saving herself; it's about saving this child. Ditto with Sarah Connor; it's about her son there. So I think there's an interesting thing. Like it's okay to be powerful. If you have a good and reasonably feminine reason for doing so. Yeah. It's not just, uh, you know, someone go, a man goes on rampage, yeah. you know, which is pretty common, I'd yeah. say. In the wake of the death of the family or whatever. Yeah. Like, know. they're just, they're just, men are on screen are pretty much allowed to just go uh, ape shit whenever they want. Or, or so. claim any level of power yeah. without, without having like a... Justification. Right. Yeah. Not right. too much, right? They don't need a lot. They don't need no. a lot. Like, you can just, you can just be a psycho. Yeah. You know, you can just be a lunatic and go and go be a very powerful serial killer. Mm-hmm. You can just decide, well, this is wrong and I'm going to go, you know, fix this. Or like suddenly your protagonist can have a um, a major life affirming moment by like sitting at a freaking stoplight and watching something happen. <laughs> yeah. Not even that big a deal. But like for a woman to do that, it's got to be it's got to really kick her very hard mm-hmm. for her to be able to take that. She almost like you almost need to often get see a female character get permission from a male character or from yeah. a male power structure in order for her to go take that in a in an acceptable way and to and without the, at the risk of sounding too dark i think that's why the prevalence of um and th- I, this is getting talked a lot about more is um rape scenes as a justification for a woman to experience character growth like yeah. that's the only way they can do it or if they find out that they're barren like they can't yeah. have children that's the only way they can have character growth and i think it's all tied to the same this same thing about when are women allowed to be multi-dimensional characters on screen right and there's like a finite level of things that you can do and when does our power not power or pivot anyway not have to come from um child bearing child rearing Mm -hmm. or our vaginas yeah like when is it not about that and and it seems like that is is harder and harder to come by i think that like the rape point is a very good one because um or the reproductive point i think those Mm. are really two very good points because absolutely it it, why does it have to be like about your badge to evolve Um, I do want to continue on with I really like the idea of the um, of this kind of Hollywood privilege, this white male Hollywood privilege. And this I would almost as the misappropriation, I guess I want to call it like faux feminist privilege because this is Mr. Joss Whedon is the king of this. He has always been touted as uh, the man who who loves women and champions them. Yeah, champions them. He created Buffy. He created Firefly. He created Dollhouse. Um, He has been always someone who's looked at as being a champion of women in Hollywood. 
However, uh, his ex-wife, Kai Cole, wrote a very, uh, you know, pretty serious letter alleging that Whedon spent about two decades lying to her about multiple affairs and how he uses his feminism, his self-purported feminism, of course, as a shield. And I find that really interesting because I've I've always kind of had this feeling about Joss Whedon that he does he would hide behind that to justify anything that he did. And it's a very easy justification to make because you're like, oh, no, I, I swear I'm feminist. Look, I made Buffy and Buffy was so important to a lot of people. Yeah. Not myself. Per- I mean, I watched a little bit of Buffy here and there, but it was a cultural phenomenon at the time for a lot of people. And it and- makes critics. uh a little it's difficult to be clear-eyed about some of his work then right, right? yeah if you have such an uh, an emotional connection to it and you think oh yeah no buffy is feminist so joss whedon must be a feminist um amy could you tell me like do men do this with the i like the idea of the feminism shield is this a thing like yes again it's two white dudes <laughs> yeah it is definitely a thing um to some extent, it, it's sort of been labeled lately as woke misogynist, mm. um, as as either someone who purposefully uses feminism as a tool of manipulation um, or someone who um, really just doesn't know better. I mean, I, I, I saw a lot of, you know, what's great about social media is that it democratized media so that anyone can have a voice. And that's great. And sometimes a really excellent piece can rise out of obscurity and be you know, the New York Times knows about it the next day. And that's that's an exciting time that we're in. The downside of that is that any time in the news cycle, you get so many hot takes. Yeah. And it's like, wow, 16 white men have all said the same thing today on Medium. Kick ass, <laughs> right? And so there's a little of that. But like the woke misogyny thing, um, there were so many of this kind of like, oh, my gosh, you feminists, around, like around the women's march. Right. Here's what you feminists need to do. Like, how about sit the fuck down and just let us deal with this, please? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, don't don't tell women how to fix feminism. <laughs> you you have like don't don't do that. So it's like I'm totally down with men identifying as feminists, and I think it's important to do so. But it bothers me when it's like you have to you still have to check your privilege. You still have to say I'm not mm-hmm. a woman. I have never been a woman. I don't know, but I'm guessing this or or better tell me yeah (laughs) even better what help me understand that you know just listen like shut your mouth and listen Mm -hmm. and so there's that's what i feel like is happening with joss whedon like he's not acknowledging the fact that in fact he is not female and has as far as i know never been female right like acknowledge that that part second of all what is so funny to me about him is like because people always point to buffy same deal it's like he gets away with crap because he's got like he gets away with being sort of racist because he's got a black friend Mm -hmm. like just because you made buffy doesn't mean you can't be a complete douche right further any woman that has ever spent time in a comic book shop which i have there's like the joke of of the way you measure the safety and welcomingness of a comic book shop is if you walk in by yourself, not with a dude, or you walk in with another woman, if you are immediately directed to the Buffy comics, you know the place oh, is not for you. Yeah. Because it's about you are a girl, you need girl things. Here's some tough Here's girls. Buffy. Right. Yeah. And so that's like always my test of a comic book shop. 
And it's hilarious how many times that cliche falls into place. That's happened in several in the city. I always point to Third Coast Comics and Edgewater as being my favorite in the favorite comic book shop in the city. Not only have I become good friends with the owner, who is a really awesome person and a fierce crusader of uh, women's issues and social justice issues generally, but... Um, he makes fun of that and he recognizes yeah. that's just not a thing that happens in my shop and he has um such a great you know he champions local artists he doesn't organize you know there's mm-hmm. so many comic book shops that have like here's the corner of women so i've even yeah. seen it labeled like here's chicks kicking ass like yeah. those words and he just has you know quality characters yeah. and that might have a local source this might be um written in a I don't know these might be in Spanish whatever yeah. like he's got them categorized by more logical things outside of than just women race and gender yeah, yeah. Um, so I think like Buffy's always kind of a funny thing to point to anyway because mm-hmm. we all kind of roll our eyes at it anyway Buffy's fine Buffy's cool Buffy's great I can, yeah. not, I can never watch uh, How I Met Your Mother without going it's Buffy <laughs> <laughs> I mean there she is right it's not Lily it's Buffy right yeah so, um, uh, but I, I, I mean, it's again, it's another example of this guy just like, no, you're like, stay in your lane, guy. Yeah. And he's got this kind of history of bulldozing yeah. sort of uh, femin- feminism. And even in 2013, and this is coming from a great piece at the uh, at the AV club called uh, Joss Whedon was never a feminist by Laura Browning. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Laura Browning. This is a great piece that kind of breaks it all down. And she writes that in 2013, uh, Joss Whedon spoke at an Equality Now fundraiser, and he basically spent like a quarter hour picking apart the word feminist and why he hates it because it uses ist at the end of it and isms. <laughs> and it's like this just like he and he and he tries to qualify it by calling out misogynists. He's just like, oh, pathetic, prehistoric, rage filled, inbred ass clowns. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, good for you. Yeah. You know how to you know how to make an insult. But um, he acts like his feminism is just something that is innate to him and that he's never. Yeah, I don't had. like to call it an ism. Yeah. Like, what? A, come well, on. Well, it, but, it is an ism, isn't it? But again, like here's an here's another like if we put this in a different context, it becomes super clear. And that is this. So I immediately think of um, the way that people right now in the political dialogue are saying things like, well, I, I'm not going to say um, I'm not going to say LGBTQ, I don't subscribe to that, you know, quote, politically correct crap, right? And I always say, if you hear someone say politically correct garbage or politically correct crap, whatever, switch it out with the phrase treating people with respect because Mm -hmm. suddenly it'll be a tell. Like, I don't believe in saying... Uh, transgender because I don't believe in that politically cl- correct crap. Well, suddenly, right. because I don't believe in treating people with, with respect. respect. Right. It is not up to a white guy to decide what feminism gets called. It's not like you don't get to call, like you can't walk up and say, hey, group, you do a lot better if you would just Rebrand. call yourself <laughs> something else. I mean, to me, that's really in line with like policing anger. You know, mm-hmm. we saw, again, I saw a lot of this around the time of the Women's March. People were like, see, the Women's March was peaceful. Black Lives Matter activists should learn from them. And I was like, okay, yo, listen to me. It's not about that there were no men there. I think that's a factor, but it was a lot of white women like recognize that the cops are just not going to screw with a bunch of affluent white women decked out in pink mm-hmm. quite in the same way they will a bunch of women of color. And so it's it, to me, it's a matter of recognizing privilege and um, 
like yes, yeah, stay in your lane, Joss Whedon. You don't get yeah. to like you don't get to describe, you know, why the word feminism is problematic. And I remember when that happened, and I remember everybody losing their minds over it, and rightly so because it was just so. Like, um, I mean, put it in any other lens. Like, if he was talking about any other group, it would be so absurd. If he walked out and he was like, "Okay, here's the thing with Latinas," yeah, right? yeah. be like, "What a <laughs> racist psycho!" You know, yeah. it would be very quick. But it's like when um, there's something still, um, there's such a stronghold still of kind of that masculine power structure that um, that is so frustrating that we see in so many ways. Sometimes we don't even see it. Sometimes it's so deeply ingrained, we, it's hard to even see that for some reason, like it's not a problem for a guy to say, ah, oh, no, it's cool. I can say this. I'm a feminist. Like, well, no, not really. Yeah, <laughs> not really. No. Like, why don't you not do that, actually, Joss yeah. Whedon? So exactly. if Joss Whedon isn't a feminist, which I think that there's a decent amount of evidence, both in action and in words, that he isn't, What what is he? He's just another rich powerful white man that yeah. gets to take advantage of women because of his stature yeah he's he, so. he's he as always i've always had a problem then this is before i really dug more into his actions as a proposed feminist i've always had a problem with him being the geek icon like i don't like anybody really that gets pushed forward as the end all be all of anything i think people can have you know very influential opinions on things and can be looked to as role models but no one is the end all be all of geekdom and he's always loved having that being part of his ego he's got such a massive ego because he made the he made the avengers he made buffy he made firefly everybody loves joss whedon and I've never really I've I've always seen the problem with his personality in that respect. And this only seems to affirm that, yes, he is just another egomaniacal white kid that probably got bullied in high school. And instead of learning from it and becoming a better person, he just became the power hungry person he always wanted to be. And, you know, Joss Whedon, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, <laughs> at Mount Hushmore. I'm dead serious. Bring it on, dude. I don't have... Um, I can't wait for this Twitter feed. Yeah. Honestly, I have no qualms <laughs> with talking talking to you about, you know, why you're so full of him. Why he's so full of himself. Yeah. yeah. Who cares? Like, well, I you, think that's what we're seeing with both of these guys, right? Yeah. We're seeing, like, very powerful men in the in you know the hollywood space who have a lot of power a lot of money a huge platform and unbelievable egos like the fact that no i will tell you what a powerful woman is and she better not be too pretty and she better only be powerful because she's taking care of a child yeah. and that better be the source of a rage like how fragile is your ego that that's the only way you can define powerful uh womanhood similarly i think with with joss whedon like i'm i'm good with feminism in fact i'm so good with it i'm gonna teach you ladies how to do it better yeah <laughs> And the thing is, all they had to do was just not do anything. Right. Yeah. The right move is to shut up and yeah. don't do anything. Right. Unbelievable. What you should have said was nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amy, thank you so much. As, as so insightful. Um, I think we learned a lot, Connor. And I think that's what we're, we're all about here on NoCo Cinema is learning a little bit every single week about something we might not know a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Gladly. You can Thank catch you. her every single week for the most part uh, on the Saturday Night Special, and that's on WGN Radio. 
on 7:20 a.m. You can find it on wgmradio.com. She also does the uh, Saturday business lunch. She's also the co- she's founder of Strange Ways. She's also what? Can I? Can you just send me a list every day of what new things you're doing? <laughs> because she's so prolific and so uh, out there to do so many great things. I just feel like there's so much to do. We've got one shot. We just have to do a lot of stuff. Also, I get bored easily, so yeah. <laughs> I have to keep myself entertained. Idle hands are the devil's playthings. It's things. true. Absolutely. I, and I hear it for the Saturday Night Special, you have a pretty you know, a pretty great producer, too. It's true. I do. I have the greatest damn producer ever. Send it to bring him on the show. <laughs> bring him on the show sometime. <laughs> all right. So thank you all for joining us here on NoCo Cinema. You can catch us every Monday, uh, usually at about noon. But uh, there's a little bit of wiggle room there. I don't know. We're loose. Yeah. We're loose with that. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Amy. And thank you so much, Connor, for coming every week, even though we hate each other. But we also love each other. Let's put a pin in that. We'll put a pin in that. Therapy session next Tuesday. Uh, this has been No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. See you next week. I'm going to I'm going to try to project today. I'm going to really try to finally project. <laughs> <laughs> We're going <laughs> to turn on some fucking professionalism, Tom. Just can you do oh, a job? Oh, now you're going to now you're going to stop phoning it in? <laughs> Why is now?